All right, good evening. How is everybody? Uh, let's uh, get into our study for tonight, back to the life of the Apostle Paul. It's going to be on a stairway, as Gene said, so we have to call this stairway to preaching, is what, right? It's not the best, but it's, it's, it's a B-level title, you know. <laughs> All that glitters is not gold. But anyway... Occasionally, I will use a travel agency to book a trip. I'm sure some of you have done that. Their expertise about both travel and accommodations can really be helpful. By the way, first, I have to do a shout-out first because the, the uh, Yabaras, some of the Yabaras are watching at home, the kids, Daniel, uh, Juji, and uh, Logan, and Lily. So, hi, guys. It's great to see you tonight. Sorry you couldn't be here with us. Everybody misses you. Travel agents, so uh, they can be very helpful from time to time. Think of God tonight as a travel agent of sorts, or at least as Paul's travel agent. Paul wanted to go to Rome. God wanted Paul in Rome. In Acts 23, 11, you'll read, the Lord stood by Paul and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And so everybody wanted to get to Rome. It was as if God was booking Paul's trip for him. In fact, God would arrange free passage to Rome on a ship. Then there was not so good news about that. Paul would be a prisoner on that ship. He wouldn't get to Rome for three years, and once there, he would remain under house arrest another two years. Did I mention that the ship would wreck, and Paul would be bitten by a deadly viper on the island? Or that this all started when Paul was taken into custody in the temple after nearly being beaten to death. Reminded me of Proverbs 16:9. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I don't know why, but I always tend to apply that proverb to God having a different plan for me. But I think it's more likely that the difference is in the path I take to accomplish the plan. God seems to prefer roads less traveled. And so, you know, I really do believe that God wants to give us the desires of our hearts, our biblically trained hearts, and that, you know, we, we have, um, we're in sync with the Lord as far as the plan, but the path that we have to take uh, is usually not the one that we think it is. I remember when we were first saved, Pam's heart was to quit working and stay home and raise a family series of different providences encouraged her to quit her career and then lo and behold she got pregnant so we were definitely on God's plan except that first pregnancy was ectopic it was a tubal pregnancy in which the child would never be delivered and her chances to get pregnant again were effectively cut in half and so God's path for the plan we had all agreed upon it was very different than what we were thinking it took us through pain and grief and a test of faith. And so be encouraged that God wants to give you the desires of your heart, the ones you and he have both agreed upon. Getting to them, seeing them realized, is going to be a journey, an adventure that often will involve pain and suffering since our Lord was a suffering savior and since the Lord wants to refine you. And so that's certainly what Paul is gonna find, uh, well, he found it throughout his whole Christian walk, but especially over the next five years as he's on his way to Rome. Tonight we're going to look briefly at the episode that started Paul's journey to Rome with a special emphasis on something Paul did as he was being taken away by the Roman guards. 
The story is in Acts 21 and 22. Paul had agreed, if you'll remember our last study, which was some weeks ago, he had agreed to participate with four Jews in a ritual of purification in order to calm Jewish suspicions about himself. He'd come to Jerusalem, I think, for the fifth time now. And uh, the Jewish leadership there of the Christian church said, you know, there are stories and rumors about you circulating that you're not, you know, that once you get outside of Jerusalem, you're kind of anti-Jewish, and it would really go a long ways to quelling those rumors if you participated in this ritual with these guys. Uh, and we talked about, you know, why Paul did that and all. Uh, but so he's in the middle of doing that, and I found this ritual, they would literally live in the temple during the time of that vow. There, there'd be a, a place where they were hanging out uh, 24-7, And on the final morning, they would shave their heads and burn their hair in a sacrificial fire. It was just part of what they were doing. Now, when this happened, uh, certain Jews in the temple recognized Paul, and seeing him with four others, they assumed at least one of them, but maybe all of them, were Gentiles whom he had brought into the temple against Jewish law. There were places in the temple precinct where a a Gentile could go, places a Gentile could not go. And so seeing Paul from a distance, they saw him with these other guys and they assumed that he was with Gentiles. And so let's read what happened in uh, Acts 21, 27. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him crying out, men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple." And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now, they dragged him out of the more sacred precinct that he was in because no blood was to be shed there. I love it that there is a mob morality. They're going to kill him. Uh, just not there because that would be unlawful. That would be the wrong thing to do, and they don't want to be accused of being unlawful. And so uh, there is a sort of mob mentality. Have you ever been mugged? I don't want to bring up a bad subject. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it, it's not very fun. We used to call it being jumped when I was in high school. Do you remember that? Do you remember? How, do people still call it that now? You'd get jumped. You wouldn't get mugged. You'd get jumped. Um, My friend and I got jumped one night leaving a football game too long after the crowd. There was sort of a rule in San Bernardino. Our our team, uh, uh, our high school football team, it was before we had our own stadium. And so we played our games at the Orange Show, which was the local county fairgrounds. And it was a big football stadium uh, there. And um, when the game was over, you had to leave immediately because of the area of town that the orange show was i mean you had to be part of the crowd that was leaving if you had any hope of ever making it to your car uh and uh, for various reasons one night steve castler and i my my best friend we just were a little bit mopey about getting out of the orange show 
and uh, we got jumped. And I'll tell you right now, it's no fun getting pummeled. Uh, it's, it's just not my cup of tea at all. Now, Paul didn't know it, but he was actually buying his ticket to Rome. This beating would earn him free passage on the government's dime. Uh, and so he had no way of knowing what was happening, but in retrospect, we look at this and say, uh, you know, this is, this is one of those free offers that you don't want to sign on to, really. But, but God had his own plan here and could use this. And so in verse 31, now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him. And commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the crowd uh, cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. And when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, Away with him. Paul had been assaulted forcibly dragged down some stone stairs and beaten by multiple assailants. He would obviously be bruised and bloodied and disoriented. No matter his faith and spiritual strength, this would be unsettling to say the least. Uh, I mean, we don't have any, there's no word in here like the stoning of Stephen where he just, you know, was shining like with the face of an angel. And so, I mean, this was a good old-fashioned beating. Uh, uh, you know, he got jumped and was being pummeled. We, we won't get there tonight, but as the story continues, to add insult to injury, the Romans plan to flog him as a troublemaker. And so he gets beat up by the Jews. He's going to get taken into the Roman, uh, you know, secure area, and they decide they're going to flog him uh, to get some information out of him. He has to pull out the citizen card again and, you know, say, hey, by the way, I'm a citizen. Uh, and Paul might actually, in his, if he's lucid at all, he might be anticipating this because he knew a lot about Romans and how they did things and Roman law and Roman custom. And so... Uh, you know, if you're, if you're Paul, you're thinking, man, all I was doing was trying to show the Jews that I love them. They obviously misinterpreted my intentions. They beat me near to death, and I'm headed for a flogging. Uh, and, and, so, and, and at the same time, your body is just beat up. And Paul's not a young man uh, at this time at all, and he's not in very good shape, probably, as very few people were in those days. And so he's, he's in a world of hurt. All of this makes what happened next really beautiful to me. Verse 37, then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? He replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a city of no mean city, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. Commander Lysias had decided his prisoner must be the illiterate Egyptian 
who had recently led a tragic uprising, inducing thousands to carry hidden daggers and stab their opponents by stealth, then to camp on the Mount of Olives, expecting the miraculous collapse of the city walls and the defeat of the Romans. The military had routed the armed rabble. Hundreds of survivors had been crucified or sent to the gallows, uh, but the Egyptian himself had escaped. And so he was a wanted individual, and seeing the level of hatred that the Jews had for this man that he had in custody, uh, he assumed he must be a, a dangerous criminal. Uh, it's, it's, you know, maybe like the crowd that beat up the Night Stalker that, down in Southern California that time. You, you, how many of you remember the Night Stalker who we were terrorized in Southern California by this crazed killer down there? And he was finally spotted at a, I think it was a bus station, and just a crowd of bystanders did a uh, citizen's arrest and uh, held him for the police. And uh, is he in Corcoran? Is he one of our, uh, or, I don't know. Yeah, who knows? He's around here somewhere. But anyway, um, so... He's got this guy, and all of a sudden, Paul starts talking to him in, in, in Greek, and it stuns him. He, he, he thinks he's this crazy, illiterate Egyptian, and Paul says, you know, can I talk to you? And, and they start conversing, and Paul says, I'm a, actually a citizen of uh, Tarsus, of Cilicia, and would you let me speak to the crowd? Um, so he's taking the prisoner away according to proper procedure when suddenly Paul speaks to him. I have to call this, for lack of a better term, what happened at the top of the stairs, just a God moment. It made no sense logistically for Lysias to allow Paul to speak. Crowd was clearly inflamed, and the best tactical strategy was to get Paul away from it and to safety. As far as tactics, uh, if, you're a, you know, if you're in this kind of a situation, uh, it, it's a it's a grab and go situation. You don't you don't want to take on a crowd uh, for for both sides. You don't want your men getting hurt. You don't want to kill people. You don't want to have to do the paperwork. I mean, this is let's get this guy and get out of there clean. The Jews do this all the time. You know, those of you who do emergency work and and police work, you know what I'm talking about. So this is not a good strategy. Um, we see in all this what can only be understood as spiritual authority. From an earthly perspective, Paul was the prisoner of the Roman authorities, but truly from heaven's vantage point, he was ambassador with the real authority to speak for the king. We defer to others on the basis of status or position or rank, and normally that's good, but not when it comes to spiritual matters with non-believers. No matter a person's status or rank or position or education or worldly authority, if you're the Christian and he or she is not, you have heaven's authority when it comes to spiritual things. You're, you're heaven's ambassador. You're heaven's expert. Maybe even more God momentish than Lysias allowing Paul to speak was Paul asking to address the crowd. These people had just tried to kill him and really for no good reason. Uh, in fact, as I said, he was only in the temple fulfilling a vow so he could show these people he wasn't against them. It, it ended up working against him. Not only did he want to address them, but as you move into the next chapter, if you read on, you see he wanted to address them about their salvation. He'll give them his testimony. He wants them to know about Jesus. And so there was Paul, bruised and bloodied and pummeled, arrested, 
not ashamed one bit about any of it because he knew it was for Christ's sake. If anybody has a one-track mind, it's Paul the Apostle. You could do anything to him or anything could be happening and he's thinking, this is an opportunity to share the gospel. Paul, what are you going to do today? I know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to share the gospel. Uh, and so whether he was shipwrecked or arrested or beat up or thrown in jail or, or you know, down by the river or wherever he was, he, he thought, this is the perfect opera. I'd just been under a pile of, you know, a dog pile I just got away with my life. What a great opportunity to share the gospel. I'll just ask if I can do that, believing that it's even, I wouldn't, I'd have a hard time believing it was even possible. Not only would I not want to ask, I'd be happy to just get out of there and get some, you know, whatever they put on your wounds in those days and get some treatment. Hey, I need, I need medical attention. Uh, but um, to think that this Roman authority is going to let you talk is crazy. Now, plenty of Christians are quite literally bruised and bloodied and pummeled and arrested for Christ's sake all over the world, even tonight. We read an article just today at our men's fellowship that reported Christianity as the most persecuted religion in the world today. Uh, bar none. It's only going to get worse. And so if you want to know the, the number one persecuted people group in the world today, it is Christians uh, in other countries of the world. Now, you and I may not face physical persecution, but we are attacked in other ways that are no less punishing. The devil's on the assault. He uses folks who, in the Bible says, are taken captive by him to do his will. doesn't mean they're possessed. It just means they're non-believers whom the devil can use uh, to assault you in different ways. Many of us, even tonight, are bruised and bloodied from the attacks against our lives and our families, our character, our walk with the Lord. If so, if that's you, I'd encourage you to see Paul standing on top of those stairs, demanding to speak in order to give his testimony of Jesus Christ. It's really one of his finest moments, made possible by the grace of God. What's interesting as I thought about this, uh, we might not be quite there yet, not quite to the top of the stairs. In, in whatever trial you're going through or are going to go through at some point, you might still be being dragged away. You know, there was a sequence here. I don't want to make too much of it in terms of a spiritual analogy, but there's a sequence of events. Paul is falsely accused. He's dragged away. Then he's beaten for a while. We don't know how long um, it takes to mobilize, you know, for this information to get to Lysias and for him to mobilize his troops and all. But there's certainly a response time. You know, a, a good response time here would have been several minutes if they could even get there that fast. And you can do a lot of, I mean, I don't watch it very often, but I've seen some of those MMA fights. And in three minutes, you can do a lot of damage to an individual uh, who you're pummeling on the ground. And so, uh, you know, there, so there's, the, there's that phase of it. Uh, then there's the taking into custody, which is no fun. Uh, you know, these guys, it says that they slapped irons on him and they're dragging him up the stairs and carrying him. And so all of those things are stages that Paul actually had to go through before he got to the top of the stairs where he could exercise his spiritual authority and say, hey, I know what just happened uh, and I'm going to turn it into an opportunity uh, to display the grace of God. And so... You have to go through those things before you can stand at the top of the stairs. 
Uh, and I don't know what the response time is going to be for you to be rescued from the situation that you're in. Uh, it's probably not going to be minutes. It's going to be more like months. Uh, but at some point, you're going to come through that beating and you're going to be able to have a testimony. You'll get to the top of the stairs, and when you do, you'll see what joy there is in sharing in the fellowships of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. So uh, I don't know where you're at. I know where I'm at in several, you know, everybody's got several different trials going, and, you know, in one you're being drugged away, and another you're being beat up, and another you're maybe close to the top of the stairs, but uh, just take heart. Uh, God will turn it uh, to grace, and... Uh, uh, as we have a heart for our enemies and those who mistreat us and uh, desire to see how God would move in their lives as well. Amen? Amen.